Father, surround us with your spirit that in the written word and in the spoken word we may behold your true and living word, Jesus Christ. Amen. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The harvest is plentiful. Gift and harvest. It is perhaps providential that Stephen's ordination to the presbyterate coincides with that time of year when it is very difficult to escape the words gift and gifts. Many little kids, and perhaps some big kids too, have already written their letters to Santa listing the gifts they would love to unwrap on Christmas Day. Husbands and wives drop hints about the gifts they would like to receive from the other. And then there lurks that awkward question when unknown gifts are exchanged as to whether they are of equal value or will mine look cheap and mean and make me feel bad or will the one I receive be cheaper than the one I gave and so will make me feel mad. And what happens when the gift is not reciprocated? A few years ago, the New York Times featured an article about wedding gifts and interviewed a highly educated professional woman who, 19 years later, still recalled the names of the guests who came to a wedding dinner but who gave no gift. 19 years later and she was still ticked off about it. And what about the gifts we get that we would rather not have and never wanted. Perhaps it is no wonder that some philosophers and theologians have endlessly debated the question, can a gift be given? And how in our culture, gift giving has become more of a contract than pure gift. Our reading from Ephesians is concerned with pure gift and gifts. In verse 7 it says plainly that each of us, every baptized Christian is given a gift of Christ. No one is excluded. It goes on to list different gifts, or rather, different categories of recipient or different results of certain particular gifts. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. The gift given to all, and the gifts given to certain people are all for one end or purpose, for the work of ministry the building up of the body of Christ, to grow up in maturity in Christ. So God in Christ gives us a gift. How nice to receive a gift from God. Or is it? First of all, this gift or gifts is by grace. They are not earned or deserved, for if a gift is deserved, it is no longer a gift. 
and God's gifts are not invited. They are intruded and they are freely bestowed by God. It's been well said that you can give a gift without love, but you can never love without giving. Pure gift from pure love, paid for by divine blood on the cross. And second, for the most part, they are not what we wanted or would ever have requested. As the letter to the Hebrews plainly reminds us, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The triune God of surprises is not a jovial Santa with a sack of toys. This God is one who has serious business with the whole of the created universe and the gifts he gives us on this fragile island home are not playful toys or beautiful ornaments, but are, in reality, almost too hot to handle. In fact, the gifts are ones we would probably would rather not have been given. King George VI of England never expected to be king, but on the abdication of his brother Edward, found himself thrust into that role. He never sought it, never wanted it, and given his serious speech impediment, and then the onslaught of the Second World War, found it extremely difficult. All of us have been gifted by God for ministry, but we never sought it, never wanted it, and find much of it extremely difficult. But the gift has been given. And so what must we do with these gifts? How can we repay God? What can we give in return? Well, of course, nothing. God is the true gift giver and requires nothing given back to the divine trinity. As a true gift, it is a gift of distance. As the philosopher theologian Jean-Luc Marion put it, to receive the other in receiving his gift demands that the distance of the other remain in place. And in any case, we have no gift to give in return. The gift from God given to us requires only two things. Acceptance and to pay it forward. To pay it forward. To use the gifts for the work of ministry. In Ephesians, the gifts given to some were for specific works of ministry. For some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. This is related to Paul's image in 1 Corinthians of the body of Christ being made up of many different parts, or else it would not be a body. One large mouth and a pile of big toes is not a functioning body, but just a gruesome mess. The church, as the body of Christ, has many varied gifts, which means many different parts of the one body. 
the church through the ages has rites and ceremonies by which it recognizes the gifts that some have been given and empowers them to pay them on in the work of ministry in the church of God. Stephen's gift of service, diaconia, has already been recognized. This ordination today is not a promotion and it doesn't replace his diaconate. It recognizes other gifts in addition to diaconia, the gifts of pastor and teacher, and therefore to a ministry of word and sacrament. Archbishop Michael Ramsey wrote, all vocations are from God. All alike involve a call to be Christ-like. All are equally sacred. But the minister of word and sacrament shares in Christ's own ministry as apostle and shepherd. In the last resort, the call is not a profession, but to men and women who are untouched by an ecclesiasticism which dwells upon the church's need, but are won by an evangelical realization of Christ summoning them to be with him in his work as a shepherd of souls. In the examination of priests in the ordination rite of this Episcopal Church, Stephen will be told, as a priest, it will be your task to proclaim by word and deed the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are to love and serve the people among whom you work, caring for young and old, strong and weak, rich and poor. You are to preach, to declare God's forgiveness, to share in the administration of baptism, and in the celebration of the mysteries of Christ's body and blood. You are to nourish Christ's people from the riches of his grace and to strengthen them. Ordination recognizes the particular gifts that you, Stephen, have been given by grace and that are to be paid forward with all the rest of us. And harvest. Scripture says the harvest is plentiful. However, I'm not sure about Alabama, but statistical reports remind us of what most of us all see and know, that church membership is shrinking in all mainline American churches. We'll soon be catching up with England. That is, of course, reason for concern. But with the growth of those with no affiliation, that actually means that the potential harvest is getting bigger. The church is the one organization that exists for those who do not yet belong to it. It needs the whole people of God to answer with the prophet Isaiah, here I am, send me. Yet, so many churches turn in on themselves as some closed social club, and though say they wish to grow, are terrified of growing because that would mean change, and they resist change. In 1864, Dr. Robert Lee, minister of Greyfriars Kirk, Edinburgh, wrote words that are as applicable today as they were then 
Reminding his readers that God is the God of the entire cosmos, he said, change is the order of the universe, the normal condition of all things mundane and human. Man may modify, he cannot prevent or arrest it, he may use it to his own benefit, but he can no more abrogate this than any other of the laws of nature. The chariot of divine providence still moves on its glorious course, but it crushes those who stand in its way. We live at a time of swift change in culture. Recent research shows that those in their early 30s and under do not go to church often, but on those occasions when they worship, they prefer worship spaces that are quiet and decorated in a classic style. They do not generally look for a church facility that caters to the whims of pop culture. They want a community that calls them to deeper meaning, a place where worship and the community creates an environment that engages and inspires. Quiet moments and contemplative reflection and a mixture of the mystery of transcendence with imminent reality seem to be the quest. The question often is whether congregations will back their clergy in making changes, sometimes uncomfortable ones, for the sake of those who are not yet members, for it is those for whom the church exists. Congregations with the best of intentions seek ordained clergy who come with every skill set under the sun to bring in those from outside. As the ordained ministry has evolved, it has moved through vocation to a profession, and much is expected in our culture of professionals. But an ordination service should remind us all that in fact the clerical profession is not a profession, but remains a vocation, a calling to do with gifts from God and not skill sets acquired at seminary. The only thing clergy are supposed to receive at seminary is deeper training in divinity. And what is divinity? The great 17th century Anglican Cambridge theologian and pastor Richard Sibbs wrote, Doth the grace and love, mercy of God, those sweet attributes, now appear and show themselves in Jesus Christ? There is no point of divinity of more use and comfort. In other words, all divinity, all theology is concerned to show the sweet attributes of God in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, crucified for us. And that is the calling of clergy, to declare the sweet attributes of God. This actually means time, time for prayer and study, not always being too busy for such things, for how else can Stephen or any of the clergy feed the body of Christ and nourish it if they themselves are starved? But clergy and people are called through baptism to be laborers in the vineyard and to reap the harvest. 
It requires prayer, openness, and a generous hospitality from all. After all, the Lord of the harvest is God. And we are either with God or hinder God in God's mission to his whole created order. If we are with God, then by God's grace we will do what we can and what we ought to do in our time. We can do no other if we are to pay forward the divine gifts we have all been given. Looking back on his ministry, another 17th century theologian, Richard Baxter, wrote, God will have other generations to succeed us. Let us thank God that we have had our time. The gospel dieth not when I am gone. The church dieth not. The praise of God dieth not. The world dieth not. And perhaps it shall grow better, and those prayers shall be answered which seemed lost. And he added, Yea, and it may be, some of the seed that I have sown shall spring up to some benefit of the dark, unpeaceable world. Perhaps that is the hope and prayer of all the baptized and all the ordained, that some seed we have sown shall spring up to some benefit of this dark, unpeaceable world. That will have been to pay the gift forward. Stephen, God has given you gifts for ministry to the diaconate and now also to the presbyterate. Our prayers are that God's grace will equip you for the task of ministry to pay the gifts forward wherever you are called to in this land of plentiful harvest. And may all the baptized and all the ordained answer with the prophet Isaiah, Lord, here I am. Send me. Amen.